Welcome to the State of Health, the podcast where patients put healthcare decision makers and thought leaders in the hot seat. I'm Gunnar Esiason. How can physicians be better partners with their patients in care decisions? When does patient engagement become a culture, not just a term? Today on the show, we do a deep dive into a successful patient advocacy campaign that turned an idea backed by research into policy. We're gonna take a look under the hood at Open Notes. Joining us is Liz Salmi, a self-described former punk rock drummer turned cancer patient, and now a senior strategist of research and dissemination at an academic medical center. Let's talk about the state of patient engagement and care delivery. Liz, thanks for coming to the show. Thanks for having me. So uh, in doing some diligence for this episode, I was on your website, lizarmy.com, and uh, I love the bio on your website. I think it's your niece who, who either said it or wrote it. So I need to know what it means to be a, quote, professional medical nerd who knows how to ask the right questions. So that's a one-line bio my niece sent to me in a text message. She actually works in video gaming. So she's a regular person, young person who's trying to learn more about her own health. And she turns to me for easy answers to complicated questions. And she texted that to me to explain how I help her. And I thought it was so great. And just a really basic, easy way to explain what I've been doing as a person who first is a patient then became a patient advocate and now work in healthcare and knows a thing or two. I think we all need somebody who can simply answer complicated questions. That, that, is, a, that is a universal need, I think. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so talk to me about open notes. Why should people care? Sure. Uh, so the concept of open notes or open progress notes is the spirit of transparency in our medical records. After every appointment or visit we have with a doctor, they go into our electronic health records of which all patients have these days and write a long narrative about what happened in their visit with that person. Traditionally, historically, our open, our progress notes in our records haven't been open to people and patients. It's kind of been behind the scenes. We've always had a legal right to request and receive copies of all of our medical records and including these uh, progress notes, but they've been really hard to access. So over the last 11 years, there's a research team based at the Beth Israel Hospital in Boston that's been studying the concept of what if these, we open these records to patients, these progress notes, and what would happen? And uh, too long didn't read or spoiler alert, patients actually really like reading these notes to recap what happened in the visit, really see themselves through their doctor's eyes. And when people can read those notes, say later after the visit, they better remember what happened in the visit, better understand their healthcare, more likely to kind of do what the doctor asked them to do. And then they come back to their next visits more prepared with better questions. And surprisingly, people actually take these same progress notes from their visits and they share them with other people, perhaps with you know, their partners, family members, other folks who are involved in their care that are outside, even other doctors at other health systems who might have access to these same records. So these open progress notes have been studied now for 11 years, many published papers on this topic, multi-site pilot projects and stuff. And then now, and I'm going to try to make this answer short, but uh, about 260 health systems opted in to operating in this kind of 
environment of transparency and sharing records around the country. And recently, actually, there was a, a law or a federal rule that now requires all health systems around the country to start sharing these progress notes with patients. It really is cool. I uh, transitioned my care when I left for grad school from uh, a cystic fibrosis clinic in New York to uh, Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center. And at Dartmouth, they were one of the open notes hospitals before the law or rule went into effect. Mm -hmm. And seeing that on my portal was a very new experience for me. And I certainly consider myself to be an e-patient or an empowered patient or expert patient, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I felt like I was doing homework after, after my, my clinic visits. Of course, this was in the, the pre-pandemic times when we would go to the hospital. Um, but what we're really talking about here is access to information that it seems like everyone sort of thinks should be owned by the patient entirely. Like that, that seems like a common sense thing. However, and I see you raising your hand, so I will let you, I'll let you get to it in a second. But however, there are critics, right, about the technical gap between patients and providers. And to provide some context for our listeners who may not, who may have never maybe used a, a, a patient portal or a, an interface between the care providers uh, and patients, it's, you know, a, a, I wouldn't say the most easy to use thing in the history of the world, but it is a communication interface that allows patients to understand their, uh, their medical visits, their, di their diagnostic reports and things like that. But are we really encouraging patients to sort of use information as they see fit or, you know, what, what is the goal here? So, um, you know, as people, as patients, people diagnosed with serious stuff, we need information in order to make, to be informed. We need information in order to make decisions about our care. And when it comes to our health, we are forced to make decisions about our care. We talk about shared decision-making and there are, we get information from our doctors in, in a real-time conversation. We, you know, as people, we go online to look for information about our health. It's just, it's a thing we do. Um, it, it, actually, most people, when, when they have a question about their health, turn first to the internet to ask the question and then maybe bring some of that information to their doctors and they might even be too afraid to bring up that health, you know, medical that online search to information about the doctors. But but we need information in order to make decisions. Mm. We've learned with the research into open progress notes that people who read their notes better understand their care. And this has been replicated in numerous studies. Uh, actually, and most people, when they can get a chance to read what their doctors are thinking, which is about them. Um, feel the same or better about their doctors. They're more likely to trust their doctors. And 99%, which is wild, 99% of folks who read their notes report liking to have the access, whether or not they read the note in each and every note, but they, they want the offer to be able to read what their doctors are thinking. You know, you talk about the technical gap. Um, you know, doctors traditionally do not write these progress notes for patients, they write them actually originally as a reminder to themselves, so they can read about you before they see you again next, because they don't memorize everything about you, sadly, Gunner. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's a reminder to themselves, but it's also for their colleagues, for the next person who sees you in the clinic, uh, so they can hand over mm -hmm. your care in a more easy fashion, or, or nurses and other folks. But 
when, and actually in the open notes that he's the big concern from clinicians is they're like, wow, I write this at this level of um, language that's for other clinicians and not for patients. What are they going to do with this information? But surprisingly, people say they understand the note because they were in that visit and you shouldn't write something in a progress note about a patient that you actually didn't say to the patient themselves. So um, while it, you know, I, I'm a person actually living with brain cancer. I have a grade two astrocytoma with the IDH1 mutation. Uh, you don't know that, but I know that because I'm the person living with the condition. Um, and, and another thing you talked about, which you just mentioned, and I wanted to interrupt you, but I didn't. You're like, I, I feel like I'm doing a homework now. And I was curious if, if what you meant by that, do you mean reading the note is homework or you do homework above and beyond, you know, outside of just to get information about your health? You know, I, it's a great question. And I think when I get home from the clinic now, and I, I use the word clinic like broadly to, to describe yeah, yeah. the doctor, because as you said, it's shared care. There's a team of physicians or providers who are, uh, on my case or on, or on any person with CS case. Um, and when I say homework, I mean, the, the visit doesn't really end when I walk out of the hospital, right? Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's all about the discussion that happened there, the tests that were done. Uh, I, I consider the end of the visit to be as soon as I get those results back, the physician of course interprets them, but I also like to do the diligence as well right. to understand what that means to my broader health. Right. And, you know, I have a question later on that I want to ask, but I might as well just get it out of the way now. You know, when a diagnostic test is returned, maybe this is one of the criticisms to open notes, mm -hmm. should a patient be the one that is receiving that information through the portal before a doctor can interpret that result for them? You know, I think yeah. about whenever I get a you know lab work done or blood work done, either testing, you know, liver function for a, a medication that I take or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I open up my portal, I see my, my result, and then I see the normal range. And of course, like any person immediately Google, what right. the hell does that mean? <laughs> should I be doing that? Or should the, should I be waiting to open my portal until my physician either calls me or messages me in the portal? Right. I think, uh, so, well, so, the open notes folks, the folks I work with, we've been studying open progress notes. The idea of open test results is in a different area that we actually haven't studied. And, um, and now that we are talking about this new federal rule requiring all these health systems to provide immediate access to the entire record, which includes the progress notes, but actually more information such as test results, pathology reports, surgical notes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like these layers of the record. So we haven't studied that. And surprisingly, uh, you know, the, the government said open everything, but there isn't research around when is the right time to release that information to patients. We are hearing now with the clinicians, physicians who are seeing patients opening everything immediately without context and interpretation from their physicians, they're concerned. Some people, you know, there's been stories about there about people maybe finding out they uh, have a cancer diagnosis through their portal before talking to their doctor. And we could definitely understand how that could be damaging. Um, but that isn't an area we study. But to me, I see it as we have no evidence. What do people want? What do people prefer? <clears throat> and I am interested in that area for a numerous, numerous reasons. But I have this feeling or hypothesis that not all people are the same. Surprise. <laughs> Shocker. Some, you know, like a shocker. There are people who are newly diagnosed with something that you might want to hold that information until the conversation 
and it has, has been had. But somebody like me, I've been living 13 years with brain cancer. Brain cancer is a big deal, you know, from the day of diagnosis. And maybe that first year, maybe I wouldn't want to see those test results immediately or those, those re imaging results immediately until I talk with my doctor. But today, it's old hat. Like I'm, you know, I can read my, my radiology reports mm. and it's for somebody like you who've been living with a lifelong condition, you're probably more familiar with it. So I think I believe, or I'm, I'm thinking that what, when people want to receive information, when patients want to receive information may change over time. And people can always decide to not click the link that says, show me these tests. Mm. But I think for physicians and clinicians, they're going to find that they need to provide some proactive communication as they these order these tests saying, I'm ordering test A for you. You're gonna, you might see these results before I do. If you don't wanna get the result before we talk, just don't click the link. It's kind of a Pandora's box mm -hmm. and let's talk about it first and I'll be following up with you or calling you. We'll be right back with Liz Salmi. So, the, the, the portal that we're talking about, the electronic medical record and the interface between patients and, and clinicians, one of the, the heaviest criticisms of that portal is that it's a little bit of an, an administrative burden on physicians. You know, mm -hmm. I was just at uh, the clinic not so long ago, again, clinic, the broad umbrella term for, for a doctor's office. And while I'm sitting in there, it's me talking to the clinician, the clinician talking to me, but simultaneously inputting, you know, just typing away at the computer, typing notes, typing, you know, uh, my vitals, like typing any single data point that does come up. Right. Is the administrative tax on physicians a problem? Well, open notes aside, physicians, clinicians are already documenting everything in your chart. They already write their notes when lab results, et cetera, are ordered, they pop up in the electronic health record. That's already been going on. Um, things like open notes just now reveal that work to patients yeah. and help them see really what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, some <clears throat> folks say, wow, I didn't realize you were writing all this about me and spending this much time thinking about me when I wasn't there. I think opening this information kind of uh, moves a curtain away for patients to see so much more is going on besides yeah. what happens in that 15, 30 minute, my case, 45 minute with my neuro-oncologist. And I, I think some folks feel, wow, you know, I just paid X amount of dollars for a 15 minute visit. Gosh, you know, that, that really feels like not much time with my doctor, but having access, I think, to the progress notes really extends the visit in some way. There's this asynchronous aspect of being to go back, being able to go back and refer to something or even a few months later when you're like, wait, what did my doctor say? Oh yeah, it's captured in this you know, long document where I can go back and remind myself of what we discussed. But the administrative burden is a whole other thing. I, I do believe uh, physician burnout can be tied to the electronic health record. Uh, there are studies that show that. There are also studies that show those same electronic health record pl platforms uh, studied here in the US around burnout. They do not show the same level of burnout in other countries. And part of that may be due to the way the US health system handles billing uh, and all that. So that's like a whole other thing that, that is being studied. Um, and I could probably send a link to you to share in your show notes in some way for folks who are interested in studies like that. But some of this burden and burnout relate to the EHR is really unique to the United States. 
Mm-hmm. You, you make an interesting point there, aside from the billing, which of course we could probably do a whole other episode on, <laughs> but the empathy that sort of physicians are, I guess, hoping to get, I think, from patients as far as, you know, when most people think of the doctor, they think of the stethoscope, the blood pressure cup, and everything that goes into a visit and every sort of uh, part of the encounter that the patient sees. But there just is a lot that goes on behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And uh, when there's a lot going on, that, of course, leaves rooms for mistakes. And I have to imagine that one of the benefits to open notes is it allows patients to uncover discrepancies in their records and it gives them full sort of reign to do so. And I'm wondering, you know, you're someone who's passionate about open notes. Have you ever discovered a discrepancy? Yeah, I have. Um, for my, so in my <laughs> case, I'm pretty lucky. I've, I've found inaccuracies that are very minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, when I transitioned, you know, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor at age 29. When I changed health systems and I had a new doctor and she's documenting about, you know, my whole history for the first time, there was a, a change from, 29 and it actually said 28. So clearly a typo. Another time it said uh, age 19 instead of 29. So another typo, but I know so much research is done based off of the information that's in our records and they, they pull all this data. So uh, I, you know, pointed that out to my doctor say, Hey, there's this typo. It's not a big deal, but you know, age 19 makes me actually a pediatric brain tumor survivor, or it means I'm a 20 year survivor of a brain tumor, as opposed to a, you know, 10 or 11 year survivor. But there are studies of open notes and patients finding, you know, can patients find inaccuracies or errors in their records and of studies on that concept about one in five patients say they find an inaccuracy in their record. And of those inaccuracies, physicians say half of those spotted are actually really important and serious, such as like wrong side documentation saying they had a surgery in the left knee, but actually it was in the right knee um, and other stuff like that. So what's, what's really important about that is, you know, pay, physicians might have their eyes on a thousand charts and they got a lot to do, whereas a patient actually has their eyes on one chart and that is their own and actually could be partners in the safety of their own care. You know, <laughs> that to me, of, of course, makes sense. And I will admit my bias here, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But I found myself in a very similar situation when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, sort of on the, the precipice between adult and pediatric care. And I was dealing with a pulmonary exacerbation, a flaring of my cystic fibrosis symptoms. And we were uh, caught off guard about a week into my, my, my care of, of, that, of that exacerbation when the home care pharmacy gave us a call and they said something to the effect of, do you have any idea what dose antibiotic Gunner is on with his IV medications right now? He is taking a pediatric dose when he's six foot two, you know, <clears throat> who knows how, how much I weighed then. And my mom was like completely shocked. I was completely shocked. So there I had been for a week taking a substantially weaker dose of medication to treat my already stubborn and rapidly involving, you know, respiratory infection. And we weren't even doing anything like, like no wonder I wasn't getting better. So for, for, I think the folks listening out there who either are operating in the, in, in the healthcare system as heavy utilizers or, or will be one day, like these things do happen. And you, it's very easy to see how they do happen. I think about anytime I write an email 
and how like terrible I, I sound afterwards. I have like the, oh my God moment. I need to unsend that immediately before mm-hmm. I can, you know, redo it all. But when you're talking about somebody's health, the redo option isn't always there. Right. Well, you know, when people have access to their full records and, and we talked about this federal rule that actually just went in effect April, 2021, in order to date ourselves here, um, you have so much more information actually that can empower you to help communicate with other clinicians about your past and moving into your history. For my own example is I'm on anti-epileptic medication. There are hundreds of different types of anti-epileptic medication. And when I got a new doctor, I'm on this kind of off-label drug for, to control my seizures. And I had to tell my new care team about why I'm able to be on that drug. And then the whole prior authorization process need to happen. And they're like, well, how do we know she tried these other medications in order to, and I was like, well, here, let me pull the past eight years of living with brain cancer and list for you all the different other medications I've tried and why they didn't work or why I'm allergic to one because that history didn't exist at the new health system because these Mm -hmm. records didn't, didn't track. So I was able to pull up dates, times, reasons, and provide documentation, which helped my new doctor make, you know, make the, the medication uh, prescription work for me. So uh, not everyone needs to go to that level of, of, of uh, advocacy, but when you have access to the information, you can provide, it's like proxy for what you know as a patient mm-hmm. to say, look, these other uh, doctors agreed with this. And so here, this adds to my case. The State of Health will be back in a moment. So we're getting towards the end here. We've got one sort of final series of questions for you. Something that we talk a lot about on the state of health is culture change in care delivery. And by all measures, Open Notes, uh, now being recognized by the federal government, uh, is a successful case study for patient advocacy and even research and clinician advocacy. It, like, it seems like it was a coalition effort. Um, what can other patients add, what can other patient advocates learn from this experience? Oh, yeah, I would say, so open notes is research that turned into major culture change. And it was, it started with some rabble rouser type clinicians who wanted to study a concept that was really about patient empowerment, but you need to study something and build an evidence base in order to help people recognize this isn't just a fluke thing. And so there was clinicians, there are researchers, there are more studies, there's expanding these studies at multiple sites, but just doing a study alone doesn't make things, it doesn't necessarily mean something's gonna get accepted at multiple sites around the country. And the next step was disseminating that research, which means going out and talking about it. Maybe it starts at conferences, maybe it, talks, it's, it moves on to say grand rounds and special presentations, webinars and so forth. But we realized in talking about the concept of open notes didn't really move the needle to other physicians, really, um, often in decision making and powering and, and power positions of power to to say, yes, we should do that here. We should do this at our hospital. We should do this wherever. And so we learned that actually patient advocates, um, individuals living with you know their own lived health experience or their care partners or their parents, when they talked about their experience with reading their progress notes, that's what really made the change for health systems to adopt this process. When a patient advocate goes to, you know, the, the patient family advisory council meeting, or they go to, you know, the C-suite level meeting and says, I'm the person who's living with this condition every single day, I need information in order to make decisions about my care, then it really clicks with doctors and other leaders that, 
this is the right thing to do for patients. So we really saw how the, re the research and evidence supported by you know, other institutions trying something and then empowered by the patient voices is what made this happen. And so you kind of see this network and then later policymakers and so on and so forth really becomes this network of a multi-pronged approach of, of getting this information out to folks. And one doctor saying, I think this is a good idea does not make change. And it's only when those doctors and researchers are partnering with patients and care partners that change happens. It, it, you're almost making it sound simpler than I imagined it was 11 years ago when this all started. You know, I, uh, it's almost like to play ball in this academic arena, which is of course, like, you know, the, the home to all of these medical centers is to just play their game and do exactly what they're doing, you know, making evidence-based choices and evidence-based decisions. So, uh, to me, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but Liz, thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Um, where can people find out about you, your patient advocacy, of course, and, and sort of the future of, of open notes and everything portal related. Yeah, I, so I'll, everyone should go visit opennotes.org, which is our website. We have all of our information. Everything's creative commons and open source. We want people to go and read the research. There's toolkits for patients and also for healthcare professionals. Go there, follow us on Twitter at, at myopennotes. And then I'm online too. So people can follow me at the Liz Army. And I have a, my own blog and website, which is thelizarmy.com. And it's a mix of patient experience and story, as well as my new world in the research space. Cool, Liz. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we'll hope to get you on the show again. Thanks for having me. That's all for this week. Be sure to join us next week. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at G17Esiason. And you can check out my website at GunnarEsiason.com. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to The State of Health and then leave a rating and a review. A big thank you to Liz Salmi for today's interview. You can check out her website at thelizarmy.com or follow her on Twitter at thelizarmy. The State of Health is produced by Bob Dwyer. Thanks to Odyssey for making this podcast possible. See you next week.